Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. So glad you're letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. Ongoing trade dispute with the European Union. We'll talk with the National Milk Producers Federation about how that impacts U.S. dairy industry. We're going to talk about the markets and the WASDE report and where we go from here with Arlen Suderman with Stone X as we take a look at this ever-changing uh, market situation. And we're going to get a final harvest report from the state of Minnesota. Uh, the last time we talked with Angela Gunsel, she uh, was waiting for better weather. It was snowing last time we talked with her. Well, she's wrapped up harvest now. We'll find out how it all turned out a little bit later on. But here we are two weeks away from Thanksgiving. We're talking now with Beth Breeding, Vice President, Communications and Marketing for the National Turkey Federation. Beth, thank you for joining us. What's the turkey supply this year for our big holiday feasts? Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, I can't believe it's two weeks till Thanksgiving. But as you can imagine, uh, turkeys are in the stores. Consumers are purchasing them actually a little bit earlier this year than they have in the past. And um, we expect for there to be a lot of demand, but enough supply. How has COVID impacted your industry? Has there been a disruption in, in the supply chain? Any problems uh, because of COVID? You know, I think like a lot of folks in the, the uh, processing industry, the meat and poultry industry, we certainly have had some, some challenges this year. Um, you know, I'm really proud of our, our member companies and our, our turkey producers. I think that they were able to quickly adjust and, um, you know, do what needed to be done to keep workers healthy and safe and minimize plant downtime. Um, but we're certainly taking the lessons that are learned from this year into next year and how we can improve the supply chain. Obviously, the holidays are going to be different for everyone because of COVID. Uh, do you expect that to increase demand for turkey this holiday season or what impact do you think that would have? Right. That's the million dollar question. But no, I mean, we're, we uh, anticipate strong demand for this holiday season. Um, you know, we've we've seen a lot of folks who are having a smaller gathering, which makes sense given some of the health concerns. Um, so we think we're actually going to see more people cooking at home this year than we do in the past. So, I, you know, I'm expecting uh, demand to, to be, you know, pretty steady, if not greater than last year. That is one of the things that has uh, come out of this uh, pandemic, that is people eating more meals at home. Definitely. And so maybe some were, some maybe are trying to cook that turkey uh, this <laughs> holiday season for the first time. So it might be a learning experience. Oh, yeah. We're expecting a lot of first-timers this year for, for turkey preparation and the Thanksgiving meal in general. You know, maybe they are used to traveling to a large family gathering and just bringing a side dish and not the, the whole meal. So, um, you know, we are making sure that resource, resources are available for those first-timers. Uh, we've got a Thanksgiving 101 resource on eatturkey.org where folks can go and, and get the tips on how to do 
a smaller scale meal, maybe a Zoom's giving if they're they're doing a virtual meal, um, but also that traditional whole bird that's great as well as some really delicious leftover leftovers ideas. But um, you know, it's cooking a turkey. I think often looks a lot more challenging than it is, but it can be super super simple. Kind of give us a state of the industry, Beth. Uh, how is the uh, the turkey business? Uh, uh, are you seeing more people get into the business, or are you losing some growers? Uh, kind of give us an update. Yeah, you know, I think it's been um, an interesting year for sure. Um, just trying to gauge demand and market conditions is, is tough enough, and when you add a, a global pandemic into the mix, it, it gets incredibly challenging. But um, I think it's been a relatively steady year for us. You know, we, we've had um, had seen some increased sales of turkey at retail, um, but of course some pretty significant losses of, of um, business and food service with restaurant closures and venue closures. So um, I think that we're going to see how things shake out at the end of the year after this holiday season. But our growers have been out on the farm um, every single day doing what they do best, taking care of their flocks and um, it's been great to see how they've adapted to to this and made sure that folks will have turkey on the table. Yeah, that's been a big challenge uh, for those in the food industry, uh, especially in the protein sector, with that shift away from a lot of the uh, restaurant, the food service business, more mm-hmm. to the retail. Uh, how do you, you feel that your industry has been able to adapt to that all right? You know, I know that um, some folks have have had to to make some changes uh, to reflect that, um, you know, maybe skipping a a flock or something like that to allow things to kind of even out a little bit with supply. But I think for the most part, uh, we've been able to adjust and to innovate and to uh, continue to um, have a, a strong and healthy turkey industry. And we're just really looking forward to a new year, you might say. Yeah, I think a lot of us are. Certainly the holiday season is, is a big time of year for for your industry. But really, uh, I know you, you really work hard to have that strong demand throughout the year. Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean... The holiday season is certainly what we call our Super Bowl, but you know Turkey is really popular throughout the year, and we've been working hard to promote that. Um, you know, particularly when it comes to convenient family meals like ground turkey at night or barbecue and grilling. Um, so, you know, this is a busy time, but there's really no time of year that isn't busy uh, for this industry. Yeah, really, people staying at home, cooking more at home, that has probably um, given you some opportunities to introduce uh, turkey or some different turkey products or different cookie dishes that maybe they wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Yeah, you know, that is one opportunity that has come out of, of COVID is folks who are cooking more at home who who did pick up a pack of ground turkey or a turkey tenderloin or something at the grocery store and um, have been consuming more turkey this year than before. Um, we see that as an opportunity to maybe reinforce some of those cooking and shopping habits that they, um, you know, learned during the pandemic. And a lot of people say that they're going to continue to cook at home. They really liked it. They liked the family time together and having control over their meals. So um, we want to see them putting turkey in their shopping carts year-round. 
All right, what's that website they can go to for turkey tips? Yeah, it's eatturkey.org. Pretty simple, <laughs> but pretty much everything you need there for your holiday feast. Um, lots of great recipe ideas. All right, that is Beth Breeding, Vice President, Communications and Marketing for the National Turkey Federation. Well, it uh, it won't be the same for a lot of folks, but we certainly wish everyone a very uh, happy and safe holiday season. And Beth, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and thanks for supporting America's turkey farmers. All right. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. I've seen a lifetime of farming, and the one thing you can count on is change. So, now there's a new inoculant for soybean growers from Lalman Plant Care. The new rhizobium species and unique technology in Lalfix Pro Yield Liquid Soybean deliver improved nitrogen fixation and iron uptake. I've seen a lot of change, but this, well, this changes everything. Contact your Lalman sales representative today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, let's go over some more numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer joins us with the latest numbers. Michael, thanks for joining us. Looks like they were up again this month. Yes, definitely more optimism in October. And, and I think there's at least three things going on here to continued optimism. First of all, we've seen continued strengthening in prices. Price I have slipped a little bit from where they were, but they're still relatively strong uh, compared to what we expected them to be. Certainly this summer we expected much lower prices, and so that's contributed to the optimism. There's also the CFAP, too. I think those payments are also contributing to the optimism. And I think we continue to get positive trade news. And so I think all of those three things are coming ahead. Uh, now, along with some pretty good yields, a wide swath of the Corn Belt, and it's creating some optimism. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. 
For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's take a look at an ongoing trade battle with the European Union and how specifically its impact on the dairy industry. Joining us now is Shauna Morris, Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Shauna, thanks for joining us. Kind of bring us up to date on this. I mean, there's a bigger dispute, but agriculture is kind of brought into it. And then more specifically, it kind of highlights what's been going on for some time, differences between the U.S. and EU on dairy issues. So kind of give us an overview. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. And and you're right, it has been going on for quite a while. There's a lot of different pieces to this. Uh, The latest news, of course, being that Europe just announced and implemented this week retaliatory tariffs against a range of different U.S. products being exported to Europe, including a few dairy lines. Uh, And that's in response to the U.S. losing a World Trade Organization case uh, over aircraft subsidies that were being provided in the past to Boeing. Um, The piece that happened even earlier, though, and for ag is really the much larger slice of this, is the fact that even before that, uh, the EU lost a case in the World Trade Organization that the U.S. had brought over aircraft subsidies that the Europeans were giving to their sector um, in the Airbus case. Uh, And as part of that, there have been significant tariffs levied on a number of different European dairy products, particularly cheeses, uh, that are sent over here. Uh, both those tariff rates are 25%. I'd add, too, as you mentioned, uh, this for us has really been very much tied into the EU's track record of non-compliance with its international obligations, not just on aircraft subsidies, but really more broadly on ag issues as well. Yeah, so the reason I wanted to bring this up is because a lot of people might hear something about a dispute over the aircraft industry and, and not realize that agriculture in general, dairy in particular, being impacted by this. So uh, it kind of shows how sometimes agriculture gets drawn into some of these things. But in the case with the European Union, you had an ongoing dispute with them over things uh, like the names of some uh, products, uh, dairy products, cheese products that were we we think of as common names, but they want to claim uh, uh, that that are theirs and that they have control over them. You're absolutely right. We've been really vocal advocates on the EU's use of geographical indications to try to effectively monopolize the use of generic cheese names like Parmesan, Asiago, Feta, and others, uh, not just in the EU market, but in a number of other global markets. Uh, Kind of adding insult to injury is the fact that they're able to export all those products here to our market just fine. Uh, but we can't ship any of them over to Europe. And, and that's one of the drivers of the big lopsided nature of our transatlantic dairy trade. That's a big part of the reason why National Milk advocated successfully and quite strongly to USTR when the U.S. was crafting its retaliation list uh, when it won a WTO case uh, earlier to specifically target those products to try to help put a spotlight on the inequities that we're dealing with here and use it as a chance to pressure Europe to make reforms in those areas too uh, at the same time that they levied pressure on Europe to come into compliance with its aircraft requirements. 
Yeah, that's another one. People might hear geographical indications or indicators and, and think, well, what's that got to do with dairy? Well, when they hear that term, they ought to realize we're talking about the uh, being able to use the names of some of these products that we're, we're used to and who has control or who has, uh, you know, who has say over how they are used. So that, that's a big issue. It absolutely is. Uh, GIs are, or geographical indications are really pretty similar to trademarks, and of course that's pretty familiar here in the U.S. terminology, except that geographical indications are given to one group of producers in a certain area uh, rather than to just one company. Uh, what's made them such a flashpoint uh, and a hot-button trade policy issue has been the fact that the EU's intentionally tried to use a number of its geographical indications uh, specifically to try to block competition from the U.S., banning our products from being sold in Europe if they're accurately labeled, and trying to use EU free trade agreements with a number of other countries around the world to try to put the same restrictions in those foreign third country markets as well. Uh, and that's a big issue that we were able to work successfully with a number of members of Congress uh, to urge a more robust U.S. response to this year. We'll be continuing to keep up that pressure looking forward to 2021 as well. Yeah, so watch for that. Geographical indications. Uh, when you see that in the news, uh, take note. Uh, we're talking with Shauna Morris, Vice President Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Shauna, you talked about working with the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. Uh, looks like there could be, will probably be some changes there with a new administration. Uh, do you anticipate any differences in approach in, uh, uh, in trade issues like with the European Union with a new administration coming in? It's obviously hard to tell exactly what the new landscape's going to look like, particularly without knowing who the new nominee may be uh, under a Biden administration. But I think we're certainly likely to see a shift in tone and kind of approach uh, and perhaps the prevalence of using uh, tariff levers to try to enact changes on the trade front. Uh, you know, I'll note that the one, the tariffs we've been talking about so far, though, on our call are ones that have been explicitly, you know, blessed by the World Trade Organization. So they're entirely uh, legal and, and absolutely fine to be being imposed uh, until the EU shapes up and complies. Uh, what we certainly hope will stay the same, though, um, and in fact increase, is a really key focus on enforcement uh, and holding our trading partners to account. Uh, I think that's something that has broad bipartisan support uh, and is really fundamental to ensuring that there's faith in follow-through, uh, that we negotiate a deal, and that the other side is expected to hold up their end of the bargain. That's important, certainly with the EU, uh, where they have a strong track record of not doing that, uh, but with a number of others as well. Uh, USMCA in Canada, for instance, we think is likely to be uh, continue to be a front-setter uh, compliance problem heading into next year that we'll be looking to work with USTR on in 2020 as well. Well, this is also a reminder, anytime there's talk about getting a trade deal done with the European Union, uh, there's a lot to overcome, a lot of thing, a lot of differences to work through. This would be one of them. Uh, while we have you, Shauna, I guess any conversation about trade always has to seemingly include China. Uh, how much dairy product are we now sending to China? Uh, I don't have a specific number on last month's exports top of mind, uh, but I know that we have been climbing this year and seen some recovery in our exports, uh, particularly once the U.S.-China uh, Phase 1 agreement was put in place earlier this year. 
and as there's been some tariff relief provided. Uh, what we do continue to hear from a lot of our members, though, unfortunately, is that, uh, that there's not enough uh, in terms of the retaliatory tariff relief, that we really need to see that being enacted uh, on a wider basis for a broader subset of products uh, in a way that's longer term, so that companies can really count on not being able, not having to pay those retaliatory rates if they enter into contracts with Chinese partners. We think that that's going to be really key to significantly driving an uptick in our market share uh, in that critical market. And one other note, um, a while back we were talking about the need to uh, have enforcement of USMCA, especially when it comes to Canada and, and dairy policy. What's the latest there? What's happening? Yeah, that's, uh, that continues to be a thorny button uh, with two key issues front of mind for us when we're talking about compliance with US, USMCA from the Canadians. Uh, and one of those has been an issue from the very start of implementation a few months ago in July, and that's how Canada is actually divvying out the tariff rate quotas that provide the market access for our exports under USMCA. Uh, we have a certain allotment that we can ship uh, under USMCA uh, without tariffs being imposed, um, but the Canadians have given the right to be able to import those products to Canadian processors of those same products in, in the vast majority of cases, and that sets up a really uh, harmful dynamic we're concerned that leads it to cases that are much less likely to be able to be making full benefit of the access we got under USMCA. Of course, the other key point that we have our eye on is compliance with the Class 7 related dairy pricing policy changes that Canada committed to do under the agreement. Uh, they've made some changes on the policy side to date. Uh, we're still looking for greater transparency into some of the reforms that have been made uh, and those that still remain to be made. Canada has a few more months until the rest of its commitments in that space come due by the end of the year. Uh, and so that's an area we'll be continuing to watch and continuing to engage with our government on to make sure that we actually see the full benefit of the bargain that was negotiated. Yep, we'll keep a close eye on it. Shauna, thank you very much for the update. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. That's Shauna Morris, Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. When you think of home, you think of warmth, comfort, and peace of mind. And that's exactly what you get when you choose Propane from FS. With Propane from FS, you get our well-trained professional staff, along with an array of products and services designed to ensure that your propane system is functioning properly and efficiently. Add to this a variety of convenient terms and ways to save money, and you've got the right solution to all your home energy needs. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane. Feels like home. Visit fspropane.com. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Zenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Zenex Premium Diesel. Zenex Premium Diesel. 
diesel that doesn't mess around. Time now for a market update here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Some profit-taking at play on Thursday's session in the grain and oil seed sector. According to market notes, the corn market had become technically overbought, probably due for a correction anyway. Fundamentally, not much has changed. Rains falling in dry areas of Brazil could be a factor weighing on soybean futures on this Thursday. Scattered showers expected to continue in southern Brazilian crop areas over the weekend. In soybean futures, an hour into our Thursday session, January down nine and a half at eleven forty-three. Corn December down five and a quarter at four twelve. March corn down five and a half at four twenty-one and a half. In Chicago wheat, December down a nickel at five ninety-three. Kansas City wheat December down six and a quarter at five forty-eight. Minneapolis spring wheat December down two and a quarter at five fifty-two and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we've seen a very narrow mix and easier tone now an hour into the day. December live cattle down 27 at 112.12. Cash cattle, we've been waiting for activity in the central and southern plains. A few bids being tossed out at 110, but asking prices have been around 112 per hundred weight. January feeder cattle down a nickel per hundred weight at 140.15. Lean hog futures, December $1.40 higher, 66.20. February up 65 at 67.05. Outside market activity on a Thursday session. The Dow down 157 points. NASDAQ composite up 27. The S&P down 12. December crude oil is up 63 cents at 42.09. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. All right, Arlen, first time we've talked since the WASDE report came out. It had some surprises in it. Uh, what were your takeaways? Well, I, there were two of them, really, that I thought were significant. Um, first of all was USDA coming in with yield estimates that were below anybody in, in the trade estimates. 
Um, that was both a surprise and not a surprise. Uh, uh, obviously a surprise because nobody expected it, but not a surprise from an agronomist standpoint. The former agronomist in me, uh, looking at uh, how dry we finished across so much of the Midwest, finished the season, particularly, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that last third of the crop was it was finishing maturity. You would expect in that situation to see less seed size. Um, because of the dryness that we had. The other factor being as dry as quickly as the crop dried down, in many cases we were harvesting corn and soybeans at moisture levels below what we typically would do. And so you're going to have less weight going across the scale. So therefore when USDA asks the producer what, what was your production, it's going to come in with a lower number. If we look at the corn objective yield data from USDA, it shows that the ear populations basically stayed the same from October, but the yield went down, and, and that would suggest that we saw both a less kernel size and also less moisture involved. Soybean data is a little harder to draw that conclusion, but I think that was probably there as well. The other big surprise was USDA shrinking the size of Ukraine's corn crop, Ukraine being one of our major export competitors, shrinking the size of their crop 22% in one month's time. That's just a huge move to make in one month's time from one report to the other. That shifted a lot of export demand to the United States. And then when you add on top of that the fact that they raised their China import ex estimate to 13 million metric tons. Um, that really boosted uh, our uh, our demand and cut our ending stocks. So now, and we know how these things, we've learned how these things can change, but right now, sitting here in November, we certainly have a whole different uh, dynamic to the markets, don't we, with the stocks uh, not being as burdensome as we've been dealing with for some time. Uh, pretty good trade. We wait to see what happens in South America. But right now, at this moment, the, the dynamic has changed. Yeah, back in May when we released the first USDA uh, balance sheet for the 2021 marketing year, we were looking at ending stocks perhaps being 3.3 to 3.4 billion bushels for corn. Mm -hmm. you, you shrink the size of the crop, you increase the demand, and suddenly you're looking at ending stocks that are half that level at 1.7 billion. 1.7 billion is still adequate. Um, corn prices are up here largely because of what's happening in soybeans. Now, it still justifies an elevation in price, but we are getting a big boost for what's happening in soybeans. And the prospect, the trade is still betting on the prospect that China will significantly increase its TRQ for corn um, to 22, 26, or maybe even 30 million metric tons. And then, of course, you have the risk of South American production coming in short because of La Nina. That gets offset by the risk that we have more significant lockdowns in the United States that shut off fuel demand like we saw last spring, reducing ethanol demand. Um, remember in the spring we lost about 550 million bushels of corn demand because of the shutdown. That would offset a lot of export demand. So corn is kind of hanging in the balance right now. Which way will the fundamentals go? And it could go from this point. It could go very bearish or it could go very bullish depending on how those factors play out. I feel a little better about the soybean fundamentals. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. You, I was just thinking that this, uh, being in the balance, you could set up a scenario going one way. You could set up 
then a scenario going the other way. I mean, it, it is kind of a balancing act right now. It, it really is, and it comes down to weather in South America, Chinese Communist Party uh, policies on importing corn. Uh, there are some highly respected people um, that that believe that we're going to see China import 26 to 30 million metric tons. So if you believe that, you're in good company. Uh, talking to our people in China, we don't think that's going to be the case. Our, our expectation has been 12 million metric tons because of what's happening inside the Communist Party in China and the, the way they're approaching it. Um, so the demand, I think, is highly questionable. We do think that they're going to import a lot of green sorghum from the United States to help fill that deficit, uh, and they're going to import some barley, and uh, they're going to feed a lot of wheat out of their reserves over the next year or two. Long term, I still think they're going to have trouble not imp increasing their import quota. Long term, I think they've got a problem meeting balancing supply and demand, but I think the Communist Party wants to try to do whatever they can to be self-sufficient in corn over the next year or two. And, and so we may have to wait for that demand to come for the corn. And we also wait and see trade policy, trade relations between the U.S. and China moving forward uh, with what looks to be a new administration. So we wait and see on all that. All right, so your thoughts, where do we go with this, uh, with this bean market, first of all? Well, historically, if you look back at the last 15 years, um, soybean prices, once they get to the $11 level, they t tend to just shoot right through it and spend very little time in the 11 or $12 area. Now, I think it's back in 2016, we topped out around 1208 and then fell back through the $11 area. The other times, we've just surged right on through the 13 14 or even higher uh, with the one test at almost $18. Um, that we saw. And so we tend to not spend much time in this area, and I still kind of hold to that. But we're at a time right now when we're going to be lacking fresh fodder for the bulls for a while. It, we have factored in um, the strong demand from China. That gets us to the Brazilian harvest. The question now is, will the Brazilian harvest be delayed, and by how much will that delay shipments so that China has to extend its purchases from us, and then will South American production be significantly reduced due to La Nina? We're entering those two unanswered questions with basically bone-dry tight stocks. So we have very little wiggle room if China would come for more than what they've already come for. And so that doesn't leave us much playroom. So prices, we're already in an area now below 7% stocks use where every incremental amount that you decrease stocks, you escalate prices by a significant amount. So I think we're going to see a lot of volatility going forward. There will probably be corrections as we see today. I expect those um, breaks to generally be bought. The primary risk to this market would be if we would move toward a shutdown mode in the economy that would cause the money flow to simply go to the sidelines. That doesn't necessarily change the fundamentals, but it causes the money flow to go to the sidelines, as we saw last spring, which could give us a significant break in the market. And we're kind of waiting to see what happens with a potential shutdown. All right, what about the corn market? Corn market obviously has to respect what's happening in soybeans. Right now, soybeans are trying to buy a lot of acres for this next year. I think they're going to buy from corn. They're going to buy from 
cotton. Obviously, we had uh, about 8 million uh, prevent plant acres from this last year that can also go in feed into that as well. Um, but corn has uh, got to respect what's happening in soybeans, and so it's going to be pulled higher if soybeans go higher. But overall, it's still waiting to see how things play out. It's going to take longer for that story. It's going to have to buy some time to see if it's going to have to fight back for those acres from, from soybeans or not. If we get a short crop in South America and China does do what we don't think it'll do and does come for the uh, 26 to 30 million metric tons of corn, then we've got an explosive corn and soybean market on our hands as the two fight for acres. Um, on the other hand, if we have a major lockdown shutdown that that slashes ethanol demand again, uh, all of a sudden it gets very bearish at corn. So uh, that's a case where treat it like a business. Take your profits, take your opportunities, keep some flexibility in your marketing plan, but may, make sure that you remember your primary objective is to protect the equity in your farm and try to grow it. So South American crop, weather, potential shutdown. Those are the three biggies to be watching. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then as we go longer term, then you start looking at uh, how the administration looks at fossil fuels and what if we have a shift in the administration, how much of a shift will we have in fossil fuel policy. Uh, that also will hinge to a great extent, not totally, but to some extent on the Senate and who has control of the Senate. Right now the markets are counting on the uh, a split uh, Congress the Republicans have in the Senate and Democrats uh, the House, um, but none of that is set in concrete yet, so those are all things we need to watch long-term. Yep, some unknowns there. It's going to make very interesting as we go into uh, the new year. As always, Arlen, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. All right, we'll check back in with you next week. That is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist, for Stone X. Well, we continue to kind of circle back with some of the farmers we've been checking in uh, around the country during harvest time, and uh, we've kind of been with them from the start right through the finish of their harvest. Next, we'll go back to the state of Minnesota. We'll talk with a farmer who last time we talked with her, uh, she had snow to contend with. Well, that's passed and harvest is wrapped up. We'll see how it went for. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Please. 
separate Cook and Chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the Fish and Wildlife Service said that the gray wolf in the lower 48 states has recovered to the point where it is no longer needing to be listed as an endangered species. Let's talk it over with Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Explain, Caitlin, for those that uh, aren't familiar with this situation, why this is such an important issue. So we've seen significant depredation on livestock. We've seen impacts from, from single animals, single predators across a range. And so what this delisting actually means is that livestock producers, that other stakeholders and states themselves are going to be able to use the tools at their disposal in a more coordinated way to address problem animals and to decrease those incidents of predator and human interaction. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accidentally avoided it. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's our roads. It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. I've seen a lifetime of farming, and the one thing you can count on is change. So, now there's a new inoculant for soybean growers from Lalman Plant Care. The new rhizobium species and unique technology and Lalfix Pro Yield Liquid Soybean deliver improved nitrogen fixation and iron uptake. 
I've seen a lot of change. But this, well, this changes everything. Contact your Lalleman sales representative today. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we're wrapping up our Harvest 2020 reports. We circle back to the state of Minnesota. The last time, just two, three weeks ago, we were talking with Angela Gunsel in Minnesota about uh, her harvest. Said, well, got to wait a little bit. It's snowing. We have quite a bit of snow on the ground. That finally passed, Angela, I understand, and you were able to get everything done. It certainly did. We had some record snows to kind of have a little break there, but then we were followed by some record heat. So we actually had a excellent end to finish. I can't say I remember another time finishing harvest in a t-shirt. So, <laughs> Wow, that would have been a big difference from uh, when we talked last with all the snow. All right, so when did you get all done? Uh, probably exactly a week ago on Thursday, so... And then we had mm-hmm. some tillage left over the weekend. So you're able to get some fall field work done as well. All right. Well, well, let's look back. How were your yields? You know, we had a really good year this year. Just, um, you know, excellent season all across the board. We got in early and dry and had appropriate heat throughout the year and, you know, finished off with some, um, you know, excellent conditions over grain fill. Uh, even soybeans, um, you know, those last pods that are usually aborted were able to kind of fill out there. So we just had a really good year, which is, um, you know, a really bonus for farmers in this area. Um, you know, that coupled with the um, uptake in pricing has kind of been <laughs> kind of that light that the farmers are looking for. So, and, and you were able to take full advantage of that, right? You you marketed that just right. You had that in your marketing plan, a big a harvest oh, route. of course. <laughs> of course, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so no problems from the snow? That didn't cause any uh, quality issues or anything? Uh, no, just really a minor delay. And um, it eventually it got cold enough for a little bit there that we were able to move again while it was still a little snow on the ground. But um didn't really cause any issue there, just a little break. In fact, it kind of worked out that that was a good timing to uh, lock in some of the early pricing for some of the seed companies that we could do some analytics and kind of lock in some of those decisions to make some of those purchases. So the timing there was actually um, a plus if you want to look uh, from a positive view. Would you say your yields were a little better than expected? Yeah, I mean, we knew it was going to be a good year coming in, um, just with excellent conditions, but we were um, happily surprised with the um, yields and how everything turned out. I mean, not everything was perfect. We did have some areas with some hail damage and some wind damage, but that's, I guess, to be expected um, anywhere. So um, just overall happy about everything and just a good chance, I think, for farmers to try to (laughs) catch a little breath of fresh air to um, kind of catch up on um, years prior where it's been a little tougher going here. A lot of areas concerned about how dry it is. I mean, it's been great for getting harvest done and getting some field work done, but uh, a little concerned mm-hmm. going into winter about the uh, dry conditions. What about in your area in Minnesota? Are you dry or not? Actually, no. We actually have snow again here. So it's been uh, a lot of up and down. So, yep, um, we just had a snowstorm a day or two ago. In fact, schools got out early and everything. So 
um, you, <laughs> it's Minnesota for you, just a lot of ups and downs and um, can never really predict the weather. But, no, we're not too dry around here. Easier to deal with a snowstorm when harvest is over, right? And not when you're looking out there yeah. at unharvested crops. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the last five years or so, we would still be harvesting now. So um, I'm just glad to be done and, um, and done early, in fact. So. There's a lot of talk right now about, with, especially with the, the, the rally in the soybean market, uh, that the, the market's looking to buy soybean acres for next year. Do you think you would increase uh, soybean acres or not next year? You know, we've talked about it, and um, and actually just with the natural rotation of our crop, our, our it'll be a larger portion of soybeans than usual, but that was just kind of a happy accident, I guess, with the um, rotation schedule we have going. So. so it just works out for you. You know, every harvest is kind of a an educational process you you get a chance to see what worked what didn't uh find out some things that you maybe you weren't expecting make plans for next year uh what were your takeaways from your harvest this year that might uh, influence some decisions next year um we've done a lot more with microbials um over the last couple of years and we finally um had the confidence to kind of do that now whole farm um, whether it's in fur or foliar applications, and we've just seen um, some excellent results from that. So we're confident now to be doing that um, across the board. That's interesting. So uh, overall, uh, in your area, were there any issues with storage or transportation? Any any backups or delays, really, other than than the snowstorms? Uh, any other issues for your area? Um, you know, not as much that I've heard of. I know last year propane was a big issue just with drying, but with, um, you know, the warmer, drier season, we didn't have any issues with that. Um, you know, we have, we just emptied our wet bin just yesterday, actually. So we, uh, all the bins are full, but they were able to fit everything. And um, I haven't heard too much of farmers lacking in um, storage, but I know that... <laughs> This year being a bigger crop, that could have been an issue that I maybe just haven't heard anything on. Some areas dealt with a lot of field fires this year because it was so dry. It doesn't sound like that was a problem for your area. You had enough moisture to hopefully avoid that. Sure. Um, Yeah, we didn't notice any um, field fires or anything, but actually just to the west of my house, there was a um, brush fire that got kind of out of control and into the slough. So that was an interesting uh, (laughs) situation there but luckily because it wasn't as dry in areas it did stop along the field lines so that was good all right well angela glad your harvest went well and you're all done and uh, start thinking ahead to next year thank you for being with us we appreciate it absolutely well thank you have a good day all right you too take care minnesota farmer angela gunsel with the uh, final harvest report as they've wrapped things up on her farm there in minnesota coming up tomorrow we're going to take a look at uh, the challenges for groups like feeding america to get food to the food insecure as we head into this holiday season and also more on the potential uh new people in key ag spots in a Biden administration moving forward. We'll be talking about that and more. I hope you'll join us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.